welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. I'm really excited to bring my second message in this theme, Elephant in the Room, that we are doing at the moment in the life of our church. And if you've missed some of the messages in this theme, you really want to jump in and be involved in this. Uh, Last year, this theme was absolutely incredible for us at City Point, and so we had to do it again, and so we're doing it over two months this year, and uh, some of the messages that have already come out have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, John preached a message uh, launching this theme on should women lead in ministry and preach, and this standing here on the platform is probably answering that, so you could probably skip that one, but it is really good if you really need your doctrine uh, aligned, you can go and have a little listen to that amazing message that he brought, Gray brought in week two, Will Christianity Fix You? Unbelievable message. And last night, we actually, uh, Graham and I have this thing that for our downtime, we love to binge watch stuff. And at the moment, we're binge watching true movies. We've probably done like 50 in the last couple of months. And, um, and we were Googling, oh, well, no, that's, that's not true. We have this thing just to reveal because I think it is, uh, there will be many other marriages that do this and, and so I want to just show my husband this is really normal, this is not an unusual thing, uh, that while you're enjoying a movie, it's okay to have your phone out Googling the facts. Is it not? I'm getting no's from some of the guys. Maybe you just need to have a listen to John's first message because I've got the mic right now. <laughs> No, this is a thing that we do all the time and I get paid out for it a lot. But when we watch movies, particularly because we love to watch true movies or true series, I'm Googling all the facts and I'm giving him like all of the other details because us girls like to have all the details, right? And make sure every fact is true. And so uh, when when we were doing this last night, because he knows it so much, now he asks questions. Even if I don't have my phone in my hand, he goes, I wonder if... I'll find that out. (laughs) And I'm really quick to do it. So last night, we actually discovered that Gray's message was actually doctrinally correct on can Christianity fix you? Because did you know that the Vikings era actually ceased to exist because Christianity came into those nations? I'm pretty sure that answers can Christianity fix you? And, of course, such a godly thing to pick up your phone in the middle of a movie to find this godly fact out, which is awesome. Okay, and last week, we had a conversation about talking about it. We spoke about gossip and how we as believers are to respond to it, react in, and what we are supposed to do if we find ourselves in conversations around it. And so today, uh, I think some incredible topics have come out, and we're really looking forward to Pastor Mike coming out and sewing into this theme next week. But today I want to talk about something that has been on my heart for a while. I've been preparing this message for a little over a year now. As uh, about a year ago, I began to do a study with a group of girls in our church around a specific topic, and I realized that there are a couple of key things that we as Christians really feel like we fail at. Some things that, although we're told over and over and over and over again, we honestly feel like we fail. At them, And this one for me was such a fresh revelation. I had never heard teaching quite like this 
uh, from the study that we did that I've been sitting on and sitting in and working through and pondering this in my own life on just how off my doctrine was in regards to this particular topic. And yet, this particular topic is the whole reason why I have the ability to stand here in God's house today. And so this morning, my message and the topic we're going to chat to about in Elephant in the Room is on forgiveness. And so my message this morning is failing at forgiveness. Is it a question to you this morning? I pray that this is a challenge in your world and maybe even a little bit of insight and alignment to some of the doctrine you might have around forgiveness and how it operates in and through your world. Because this is such a powerful, powerful part of our faith in Jesus Christ. And the truth is, as many of us, whether we, like for myself, unknowingly or whether we are knowingly operating out of false doctrine. And so I want to put, to put a few thoughts out there this morning to help us as believers in the house of God at City Point North to have a marked difference around this area and to come into alignment with what God's word says about this area in our lives, an area that shapes our faith. Because the truth is, is most of you had a moment that began with forgiveness being stretched out and touching your world. And yet, this is not a single event that's supposed to happen in our faith. We are supposed to actually have this as a daily practice in our world, coming in and going out. And so we're going to chat about this a little bit this morning and as we do, I want to ask you the question, do you ever find yourself defining life by before and after deep hurt? Do you define yourself or has there been times in your life that you have defined your life by before and after deep hurt? A horrific season, that conversation that stunned you, the shocking day of discovery, the divorce, the wrongful death so unfathomable you still can't believe they're gone, the breakup, the day your friend walked away, the betrayal, the hateful conversation, the remark that seems to now be branded on your soul, the day everything changed, that marked moment in time, life before and life now. Is it even possible to move on from something like this? Is it even possible to create a life that is beautiful again, the before? When your heart has been shattered and reshaped into something that doesn't quite feel normal inside your own chest, yet the word forgiveness feels a bit unrealistic to bring into the conversation. Can I share something with you this morning, though, that I have been learning in this season? Forgiveness is possible, but it won't always feel possible. It's a double-edged word, isn't it? It's hard to give, but it's amazing to get. But when we receive it freely from the Lord and refuse to give it, something heavy starts to form in our souls and spirits. It's the weight of forgiveness that wasn't allowed to pass through. 
And for me, that's mainly because I misunderstood something so incredibly profound about forgiveness. I realized last year at 40 years old, I had an element of forgiveness I'd completely missed. Has anybody had a revelation in the word before that you're like, I've operated so long with a misconception in this area or like such a limited understanding. Has anybody had that or felt that this morning? This was forgiveness for me. Forgiveness isn't something hard that we have an option to do or not to do. Forgiveness is something hard one that we have the opportunity to participate in. When we wrongly think forgiveness rises and falls based on all our efforts, conjured up maturity, bossed around resistance and gentle feelings that in one moment feel real and in the next feel fake, we'll never have, we'll never be able to authentically give the kind of forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. Our ability to forgive others is made possible when we lean into what Jesus has already done for us, which allows his grace for us to flow freely through us. In Ephesians 4.32, in the Amplified Version, just so that you're aware, if you just wanna open the Amplified today, I'm using all my passages from the Amplified today. I love some of the descriptive words that are placed in there to pull apart some of these uh, passages that we're using this morning. And in Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Do you know forgiveness isn't an act of your determination or my determination. Forgiveness is only made possible with my cooperation, with our cooperation. Cooperation is what I'd been missing Cooperation with what Jesus had already done makes verses like Ephesians 4.32 possible for our worlds. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another just as Christ forgave us. God knew we could never do it on our own. So he made the way not dependent on our strength, a forgiving way, a way to grab onto Jesus' outstretched arms, bloody from the crucifixion and dripping with his redemption for us. He forgives what we could never be good enough to make right. He makes a way for us to simply cooperate with his work of forgiveness, for us to receive and for us to give it. That person or people They've caused enough pain for you. They've caused enough pain for me and for those around your world. There's been enough damage done and, by, and you don't have to be held hostage by pain anymore. Life doesn't have to be defined by before pain and after pain. You get to decide how you'll move on. And so this morning, if you're knee deep in pain, and resonate with the feelings of resistance to forgiveness, I've felt that too. I understand. Let me assure you that over these next couple of minutes, I'm gonna say to you this morning that forgiveness is possible. 
And it's regardless of whether you are receiving this message this morning, thinking about forgiveness of what God has extended to you or how you are feeling about forgiving others who have hurt and offended and betrayed and shaped your before and after moments in your life. I can hear your reasons though, even now, because the truth is, is I feel like the word forgiveness is like a small dagger or a knife that when, when it's brought out, it's uncomfortable. It's like, a, I can hear. I can hear the reasons, even though it's silent in the building other than my voice. I can hear the reasons on why you wouldn't forgive. Or I can hear the reasons on why you would not be forgiven. I know this because I too have had those same excuses. I've had the same excuses on why that person should not be forgiven or why I do not deserve it. And so I want to go through a couple of the things that are our normal excuses or reasons on why we fail at forgiveness as believers, why we most often do this as a final step and not a beginning step when we are exchanging in relationship with God and with others. And so I want to throw out a couple of thoughts this morning around the excuses or reasons we would not forgive, why we fail at forgiveness. What about when unchanged behaviors feel unforgivable? You know what I'm talking about. The person who has already hurt you has moved on, but they're still doing the same behaviors that hurt or offended or caused your pain. Or maybe it is that you are still, even though you've been saved by grace, you are still hurting God or stuck in a life or in a situation of captivity in a specific sin that you're like, I can't seem to break the hold of this stronghold in my world. And so how do I have, how do I receive or how do I give forgiveness when there is unchanged behavior? When someone takes something that you'll never give back, when the outcome seems so final you can't get your bearings for how to go on, when they hurt you so deeply you fear that you'll never be normal again, with a grief that's so consuming from all of these painful situations, it's completely maddening to think that forgiveness should apply to your situation. What would forgiveness even accomplish in it? I understand these questions, for I've wrestled with them myself so much. And while, and the truth is, is I'd be the first one in line to raise my hand and admit that forgiveness is a hard step to take, but it's also the only step that leads to anything good out of painful situations. Every other choice, including the choice to not do anything and remain where we are, just adds more hurt onto hurtful places. So here are a few truths I've been learning to hang on to in my heart, and I pray you catch them this morning when you are struggling to step towards forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is more satisfying than revenge. The truth, it's true. 
Forgiveness is more satisfying than revenge. Romans 12, 19, 21 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness. For it is written in scripture, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now don't stop there and go, ah, vengeance is mine. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the, says the Lord. I will repay, he will repay. Don't be overcome and conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good, with good. Do you know, revenge is paying twice for a hurt that someone did to you. You may think it will feel better in the short term, in the immediate, but in the long term, it will always cost you more emotionally and spiritually than what you ever wanted to pay. The only thing your revenge will do is add your wrongdoings to their wrongdoings. Forgiveness doesn't let the other person off the hook. It actually places them in God's hands. And then as you walk through the forgiveness process, it softens your heart. And the peace from forgiveness is far more satisfying than revenge for your soul. Which brings me to point number two. Our God is not a do-nothing God. He is not idle. He is not a God who doesn't act. He is a God of the impossible, who we sang this morning is a mover of mountains. That's not small things, that's big things. Our God is not a do-nothing God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you carefully. I love this passage because it doesn't say cast your cares, it says cast all, all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your hurt, all of your offense, all of your inability to step out of the temptation of this particular thing that's holding you bondage and captive, all, cast them all on him. Do you know, I was recently participating in a Q&A uh, question session, and someone in the audience asked, how can God just do nothing? We were talking about world circumstances at the time, and there was pain I felt the pain in her question and it was deep. Do you know, when you are suffering so much that each next breath feels excruciating, it's easy to start assuming that God is doing nothing, but we don't serve a do-nothing God. He is always working. It may be a slow working miracle according to our timeline. It may look different to what we expected in the outcome. But God loves us and he is always doing something and something perfect in us. We have to trust him with the completion of it and not put it in our own hands. Do you know, I was chatting to Gray this week about uh, the reading that I was up to at the time and um, I'm just gonna get my phone open because the 
code's not working, but I was just reading about this do-nothing concept with God, and a verse that I'd sort of read over a million times in a popular story that most of us would have heard if you'd been around when you were a child in faith in a Sunday school lesson, but if you haven't, you may or may not be aware of an amazing story with it would make the most incredible movie. It does. The Prince of Egypt. It's an awesome movie. But it's, it's a Hollywood blockbuster featured style story in the Bible when God comes and intervenes on behalf of his people and sends the most crazy things upon a land so that the Pharaoh would let them go. But I've, I've known this story since I was little, and I've missed a particular verse in the reading over of it. Well, there's two verses, actually, that stood out. And so if you believe this morning in all honesty that God is a do-nothing God, this verse is for you. In Exodus, it says, while well, it's unpacking this story, before any plague is done, even before Moses has been called through the miraculous sign of a burning bush, It says this in the passage, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. What has he done? Seen. That the Lord has seen the affliction of the people, and I have heard the cry because of their taskmasters. He has seen it, and he has heard the cry. And here's the other beautiful part of it. This is the part I missed. He says, and I know their sufferings. I haven't just observed it, and I haven't just heard when they've cried out for help. I know their sufferings. And so it then goes on to say in verse 9, and so now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've also seen the oppression, and so I am going to act on their behalf. God sees and he hears and he knows the pain or the captivity that you're living in right now. But here's the thing, he doesn't just leave it there. And you know, I know that the Israelites in this story would have had no idea that a man who'd not even operated as an Israelite for the majority of his life was being prepared in a desert by a burning bush that wasn't being consumed by fire because God had seen and heard and he knew their suffering. I can tell you that I would have because that, to- that term that they suffered was probably not the timeline that many of them would have loved God to act in. They were in captivity for 400 years. I don't know about you, but I do not want the areas in my life that I struggle with to be captive in them for 400 years. But I have to trust that even though I may have no idea of what's happening in another chapter at the same time, that God is meeting a man with a burning bush and doing something because he has seen and he has heard and he, has, he knows the suffering. God is doing something even when we can't see him doing something. He is working. He is working. Number three, 
We have to identify where the pain actually comes from. The enemy is the real villain in the story of our lives, whether it be internal stuff we find ourselves captive in or in the pain with other people and exchanges we've had with them. The enemy is actually the bad guy in the story, in our stories. He's the real villain. In Ephesians 6, 11 to 12, it says, put on the full armor of God for his precepts are like splendid army, armor of a heavily armored soldier so that you might be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and all the strategies and all the deceits of the devil. So that all-encompassing all that we need to put our armor on for is for all offenses, all hurts, all words spoken rashly, harshly, inappropriately, whatever, knowingly, unknowingly. All of the acts against us, all of the things we struggle, put on this armor that we may be able to stand up against these schemes for. Our struggle is not against one another. Our struggle is not against one another. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, and against the forces of this present darkness. Not a historic, but a present darkness, a present enemy. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. People do have a choice to sin against us or not. And certainly when we are hurt, the person hurting us may play a willing part into the enemy's plan. Whose plan? The enemy's plan. I wonder what it would look like if we as the church began to identify when we feel offended, when we feel hurt, when we are betrayed, that whose plan was it against us? The enemies. What would it look like if believers stopped looking at one another but put the enemy in between and go, it's your fault and so I'm gonna deal with you? I kind of feel like it would shift everything in our world. This is what I've begun to do in my own life in areas that I struggle with Because the truth is, is we do the exact same thing with ourselves. If there is an area in our life, the enemy sends shame and condemnation. And so often I feel like I fail to forgive myself or to see the grace and mercy that has been extended in my world because I can't can't receive it when I'm looking at myself. I need to look at who sent it and who can deal with it. This fight is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. If it's in a supernatural realm, then I need to get supernatural eyes so I can see who my enemy is, so I can see who my answer is. We each need to get this, every single one of us, supernatural eyes. It is my prayer for us this morning that we would get supernatural eyes to see who our enemy is, that it's not a friend, it's not a a loved one who has betrayed or hurt or offended but it was the enemy's assignment against my world. And so it is him who I need to deal with in spiritual and heavenly places. 
What a shift that would be for our lives. What a shift. The devil is really good at an all... The devil is on an an all-out assault against all things good. That's you. He hates the word together. You're powerful together. And he especially works with great intentionality against anything that brings honor and glory to him when you are together. God knows the heartbreaks you carry are enormous. And your desire to undo some of what has been done is is very understandable. It's okay to carry both the desire to want to change and an acceptance that on this side of eternity, it might not. You can carry both. You can honour both. But you can only do this if you get supernatural eyes to see who your enemy is and who can deal with it. Adding truth into our perspective makes even the unchanged behaviours forgivable. None of this is simple. These aren't just truths to simply listen to this morning one time or read through once in the word. They're truths we need to sit with and sit in and wrestle out and dare to walk in and live it out until maybe one day we can actually declare with God's strength that we've decided to own it as our new way. There is, however, a daily cure for this, for a heavy heart, when you are dealing and processing forgiveness. Did you know that Jesus has given us the perfect prayer to pray each day to help us get ahead of any offenses that may come our way? Most of you will know this by heart, particularly if you are in any kind of Christian education in school, You will probably know how to read this off by heart. I've added the amplified version, so you can't just skim over it this morning. But in Matthew 6, we read about Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, and more commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. So today I want us to note the very parts that Jesus seems to emphasize the most in this passage. And those key things in this passage I want to highlight today are confession and forgiveness. Matthew 6, 9 to 15, you can follow along on the screens, reads like this. It says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, letting go of both the wrong and the resentment. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Identify the enemy, (laughs) who the real enemy is. For yours is the kingdom and the power. Whose is the power? His. And the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing your hurt and anger with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your Father will not forgive your own trespasses. Whoa, what a passage. I don't know about you, but I I could quote the first part, you know, the part that we all commonly know up till yours be the glory forever, amen, full stop. 
but it launches straight in after the Lord's Prayer to a key part about forgiveness. And so while Jesus is teaching his disciples how we are to pray, the majority of the conversation here is about confession and forgiveness. I don't know what your prayer life looks like, but a huge shift that needed to happen in mine was from the petition from what I needed to what I needed to deal with and forgive each day. I need to spend more time having my heart reset, allowing grace and mercy and the fresh revelation of this to feature in my world more than what I need because he already, the Bible says, knows everything I need. And yet, to operate like, the, uh, like these two were saying, Rach and John this morning both touched on it, to live with life within me. Life, a life he intended for me. I need to have a daily reminder of what his mercy and his grace for me is like. It is only from a fresh revelation daily of his mercy and his grace. It's only from a fresh revelation of what mercy and grace I require each day. A bold and brave prayer, if you're willing to do so, would be to say, Holy Spirit, what areas do I need your mercy and grace for today? Not what I'm going to be impacted for as I walk my day. What areas are already inside me that I've been operating out of defaults, attitudes, behaviors, addictions, whatever it is, what have I already got going on in my world that before I even start my day, I need a fresh revelation on what your mercy and grace is needed for in my own life so that as I step out this door today, I can extend a grace and a mercy to others because of the revelation I've had for my own life of what you've given to me. I would encourage you to pray that brave prayer for it will shape the way that you process forgiveness. Giving and receiving forgiveness makes up almost half of what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage. Wow. This grabbed my attention and made me lean in a little bit more to what Jesus wants to do on a daily basis. Uh, Just making our prayers about requesting help and provision from God is not enough. Come before him humbly and seek where you need grace and mercy from the Lord. The Lord's Prayer reminds us what the human heart needs every day. We need God. (laughs) We need to be forgiven and we need to forgive, which means forgiveness is supposed to be as much part of our daily lives as eating and sleeping. But I would readily admit that I'm not even sure I've ever even done this weekly. Would you be willing to admit this too? That I've done this action maybe from time to time, maybe months or years after the fact of an incident when I'm finally confronting it because something has formed like a giant tornado within inside me and it's leaking on people even though I thought I moved on. It's leaking in my new exchanges with people and relationships that I share. This is why it's required for us to deal daily. Maybe that's the very reason I often have had unexplainable 
heavy feeling inside of me of failing at forgiveness. Maybe you've got that. This morning as I'm unpacking this, you're feeling like, yeah, I, can, I, I feel that. There's been a weight because of it. Maybe you can identify, I'm too easily offended. I'm too quick to get defensive. I'm too slow to turn to prayer. I am rarely confessing. I'm too often not forgiving. But I wanna change this. If you wanna change this this morning too, say to God, mature me in this. Show me where I need grace and mercy. I I know I won't do it perfectly, but I wanna step into forgiveness. And so I'm gonna try it out. You know, just a few weeks ago, someone that I've been trying to help completely blindsided me with a reaction that felt extremely out of character and honestly undeserved. That's how I felt, that it was undeserved. And I, I walked away a little hurt. All I wanted to do was pull back from helping. And in this particular situation, it required me to step in and be helpful. All I wanted to do was pull back and give way to the full unleashing of hurt on my life. And maybe for you, that looks like a a good whip lashing with words, but for me, it's a good stew. You know, when you lie in bed at home, I, I unpacked this last week, and you think of everything you could have said if you were just a little bit quicker. You know what I'm talking about. A number of years ago, I even had to change the way I journal. I I pray by journaling each day, and I had to totally revolutionize or throw out the way I used to journal. I, I used my journal as a debrief, a prayer, but a debrief to God on all of the things, because I kind of figured in a really good godly revelation at that time that if I put it out there, at least I'm not putting it out on you, right? I thought that that was safer and super spiritual. And yet God challenged me to stop debriefing. He already sees. He already knows. And he's heard my cry in it. So he knows what the hurt feels like. But he has given each and every one of us the tools on how to deal. And so I started to write On this page, each day has a page, and on this page, I started to write what I'm grateful for. And if there had been an exchange with a specific person that I had felt offended or hurt or a bit blindsided from, I started to write the things I was grateful for them for. And then on this side of the page, I started to petition. That's the name of the, at the top, it says, grateful petition at the top of this one, I started to petition heaven for what I thought in my revelation at the time, God could move in this area or move in this relationship or move. And finally, at the bottom of it, so petition at the top and at the bottom of this one, I would start to prophesy what God's word says over the situation, over us as his daughters or sons prophesy what his word says, write out passages of what God's word says over it. I had to shift it because what I found was happening in my debrief is I was sitting in my hurt. I was stewing in my anger. I was pondering in my offense, but we can't do this. This will eat our soul away bit by bit by bit. And this is the enemy's plan for us. But the antidote to this is 
forgiveness. God has a medicine that he gave right at the beginning of this journey for each and every one of us. And it was by sending his son who had not done anything to deserve this, but he sent him as a scapegoat for us to forgive us for our present, for for everything. Everything that he sees, that he knows, and that he acts on. He sent a way to free us, and it was through the act of forgiveness. God sent his son so that you and I would be forgiven. That was the purpose. The purpose on why Jesus died was not so that at Easter time we could all be reminded humbly and, can, well, condemned by the visual of Jesus on a cross. But he sent us, he sent Jesus so that each and every one of us would be able to receive freely forgiveness for all of these encounters that we have in our life, for all of the things that we're living in captivity in our souls and in our spirits. I remembered that that morning after this exchange that earlier that morning, I'd actually just finished reading the Lord's Prayer. And the reason I had is because we'd just released the song at City Point. So I was reading back over this passage. And I'd confessed several things that, sm- that morning to the Lord in my own heart that needed some work. And I'd pre-decided because of the written Lord's Prayer that I would forgive those who had hurt me. And so in this particular day, even with the strong emotions of being hurt or offended in this particular day, instead of letting anger stir within me and cause more pain and more hurt and even start to form seeds of bitterness within my life, I let my anger inform me that something needed to be settled with my Saviour. Do you know we can do that? We can let our hurt, our offence, and our anger be a signal for when we need to go back to God and get a fresh revelation on grace and mercy. I know that we would be marked as different and stand out. I know that the world would look at us as believers and say, there is a difference if when in moments that we have a chance to be offended, we instead go, ding, 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 this is a signal. This emotion, which remember emotions were given by God, still have purpose. So this emotion that is evoked in me is a signal to myself that I have some dealing to do on my knees with my Saviour that I have some dealing to do to get a revelation of the grace and mercy that's been extended to me so that I can freely give it and leave it there, casting all cares back on him for he sees and he knows and he is doing something about it. I let Jesus talk me into into loving her like the way he did to see the grace and mercy extended to her life as he does mine. 
As we prayed, the most unexplainable peace washed over us both. It didn't actually necessarily solve the issue that was being spoken about at the time, but it did prevent chaos of being added in the moment of hurt and confusion, opportunities for resentment and bitterness. Do you know, confession breaks the cycle of chaos in me, but forgiveness breaks the cycle of chaos between us. I'm going to repeat that. Confession breaks the cycle of chaos in me, but forgiveness breaks the cycle of chaos between us. The Lord's Prayer prepared my heart for something I didn't even know that was coming, for, coming later that day for me. Oh, church, believe me when I say the best time to forgive is before we've ever been hurt or offended. And the next best time to forgive is now. Don't wait for later. Don't let it sit. Don't let it stew. The best time to forgive is before. Set your spirit up for success in these areas. And if you've got something to deal with, don't hold it. Deal with it now. I get it. Healing can feel impossible when there has been no resolution with those who have hurt us. We want them to admit they're wrong, to make things right, to at least apologize. But I'm learning that our ability to heal cannot depend on another's choices, but only on our own. I became aware of this truth when my Bible devotion I was doing at the time taught me about the only two healing miracles Jesus performed in Jerusalem. All right, so when he went to Jerusalem, there were just two healing moments that he did in this town. And they're mentioned in the book of John. The first was a healing at the pool of Bethsaida. In John 5, we read about a lame man who thought he needed the cooperation of other people to help him to get into the water when the angels stirred it. And according to the superstition believed by so many, this was so. So when Jesus came and he asked him if he wanted to be healed, the man's response was surprising. He gave Jesus an excuse based on the fact that no one else would help him get into the water. Isn't it amazing that the man was so focused on what others needed to do first that he almost missed what Jesus could do for him then? Without one word about the other people, Jesus instructed him, as it says in John 5, 9, at once the man was cured. The healing didn't involve anyone but the paralyzed man and Jesus. It took nothing else. We need to get good at taking out the middle man. And when we put the enemy there, the person who sent the assault, the person who has sent the assignment there, and when we put Jesus there, we're going to deal with it like this. The other healing miracle is found in John 9 when a blind, with a blind man. In this story, we find the disciples wanting to know whose actions had caused this man's blindness. They wanted to know who to blame for this man's blindness. In that day, affliction like this was seen as it must have been sin. Sin in his life, sin in his parents' life, sin in multi-generation, it doesn't matter where it came from, it had to come from somewhere. So in this story that we find the disciples wanting to know whose actions caused this man blindness. But Jesus blew up their assumptions. He didn't place blame or shame on anyone. He said to this man's blindness, it happened, 
what a revelation. It happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is yet another level of our step into forgiveness. What if it wasn't just a signal, our emotions, a signal for us needing to come to God? What if perchance the hurt, the offense, the betrayal, the abuse, whatever it is in your life has happened so that God's glory can be displayed in your life? when you are healed, when you are forgiven, when you are set free, when you walk in the freedom of all that God has for you despite what was said, despite what was done, despite the inner struggle that has been like a tension that you've wrestled with your whole life. What if perchance, just as Jesus says here in John 9, it happened so that the works of God might be displayed in yours and my life. Jesus then spat on the ground and mixed up some mud, rubbed it into the blind man's eyes, instructing him to go and wash in a pool. Notice that Jesus didn't make healing contingent on what other people were doing or owning anything himself. Jesus gave the instruction. The blind man obeyed. Jesus healed And the blind man walked forward into his freedom and sight. The Bible study that that day said this, one of these miracles showed us a new way to walk and the other showed us a new way to see. I couldn't grab my journal to record this fast enough and this is what I wrote, so it's an excerpt from my journal this day. It says, for me to move forward, for me to see beyond this current darkness is between me and you, Lord, I don't need to wait on others to do anything. I must simply obey what God is asking of me right now. God has given me a new way to walk, a new strategy, and God has given me a new way to see. It's called forgiveness, and it's so beautiful when it's evidenced in my life. I pray that this is the revelation you catch this morning. It's a key that has unlocked your world. If you've met Jesus and you are walking with Jesus today, it is a key that in salvation unlocked your world and opened your whole world to be able to walk in the grace and favor and blessing that Jesus has for your world. But it is a key that you can unlock that will release your life and release others as you exercise it and let it flow through your world. Our ability to heal, team, you may come. Our ability to heal cannot depend on others wanting our forgiveness, but only on our willingness to give it. And our ability to heal cannot depend on receiving adequate consequence, on others receiving adequate consequences for disobedience or sin, but only on our obedience to trust God's justice whenever we see it or even if we don't. Our healing choice is our choice. Your healing choice is your choice. My healing choice is my choice. It is with utmost compassion that I say to you this morning, your healing choice is your own. You can heal. You can forgive. You are forgiven. And you can trust God with your hurt and your painful. Your life does no longer need to be defined by before and after. 
This morning, God wants to put forgiveness in that space and get us to take on new actions of it so that it shapes and aligns our worlds to look more like Jesus. As I was finishing preparing this this morning, I thought about what it is that when the world looks at my life, how they would be able to identify with great clarity that I live a life with hope and faith and love, that my, my whole life has been shaped and marked by something greater than myself. How? Simply being a good person is not enough to stand out in a world. There are great people. There are beautiful, generous people. There are people who achieve amazing feats. So how is it that my life or your life would stand out to your friends and family who are not yet walking with Christ, to our community who needs Christ? How would our lives show that there is something different? It's most definitely not my words. My words are a symptom or a consequence of what Jesus has done in my world and what I'm allowing Him to do today in my world. What I allowed Him to do 38 years ago when I met Him and accepted Him and chose to follow Him with my life is not enough because the revelation at two, it would not sustain for a 40-year-old woman. And it doesn't deal with what I dealt with yesterday. (laughs) And so today I need His forgiveness. Today you need His forgiveness. I'm gonna pray right now over each and every one of us that we would have a a fresh revelation this morning, each and every one of us, of the grace and the mercy that has been extended to every one of us. But I'm also gonna pray over you a bold prayer this morning that it would be a revelation so great that it would begin to spill over in the relationships and the hurt spaces that you have encountered in your world. And if you wanna do a further study on this incredible topic, I have to recommend right now, Lisa Turkhurst has written a book that comes with a study and it's called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Some things are huge, enormous pain and hurt but God has a way in which you can live beyond and from that hurt. No longer limping with the effect of how it has impacted your world. God wants you to walk today freely from what has happened. He also wants you to walk freely from what has been an inner turmoil in your world. Maybe hidden sin that you're like, I can't seem to get out of this rut. This grace and His mercy is here for you today if you just open your heart right now let's close our eyes Father right now just pray for each and every person God you know us you see you have heard our cries whether they've been anguish from the pain we have felt from others or a desperation and a shame a cry of shame from the different things that we struggle with that nobody knows anything about God, I pray for each and every person sitting here this morning and listening online. I pray for an overwhelming new revelation of your grace and your mercy that has been extended to us individually. God, give us a revelation 
of the mercy and the grace that is required for my life daily. I need to know it, God. We need to know it, Lord. We need to know what it is that was not just done on a cross, but what is required today. Revelation, God, that your mercies are still working and need to be at work in our lives. That you are forgiving, forgiving our sins, forgiving when we mess up, forgiving when we allow ourselves to be hurt and we don't forgive. That your grace is sufficient for those places. Give us an incredible fresh revelation on the grace and mercy that has been extended to each one of us so that we can stop this cycle of failing and forgiveness. But I pray, God, that the revelation is not just, not just a seed sown, but an overwhelming manifestation in our lives, God, that it begins to spill out. Right now, we open our hearts and we surrender some places and times that people have hurt, people have offended, people have betrayed, all of the, so many things where there has been loss, unexplainable. We give them to you, God. We cast our cares upon you. And God, we release those people right now because through the revelation of what we've been given freely by your grace and your mercy and forgiveness, we release to them forgiveness right now. Some of you, you're getting a visual or you're being reminded of memories of things. Would you just literally pick it up, put it in your hands and stick it at the cross of Jesus right now? We give them to you, God. We forgive. We forgive, we forgive, we forgive as we've been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so done, but I just wanna ask a question. I've spoken this morning on forgiveness and I know that many people who are here today, I know so many of the faces you're familiar, that you've met Jesus and you're walking with Jesus and you know that you are forgiven. But if you are here today and you don't know that, maybe you're even, you've been in church for years, maybe you're here for the first time, but you don't know and you have never had a revelation of the grace and mercy that God has assigned for you. He wants you to know this morning that you can be forgiven, that your sins can be washed away, that you don't have to live with the pain and shame of it anymore. And that a life lived with Him, understanding His grace, being overwhelmed by His love for you. I would love to, uh, provide an opportunity this morning to pray with you and to lead you into a relationship with Jesus where you will feel His overwhelming love and the forgiveness that does cover everything. Every hurt, every hidden sin, it's how God operates. He loves you so much that His grace is enough for whatever your life needs. And so if you're here this morning and that's you and say, I wanna respond to that. I wanna enter into a life or a relationship with Jesus. I need His forgiveness in my world and I need to know His love. Would you just slip your hand up wherever you are? I will see it as I just quickly look across. Is there anybody here? I see that hand. Thank you, that's an incredible decision. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else as I look across? Amazing. 
As we stand to our feet, church, we're gonna pray with this person who has responded this morning. Would you begin to pray? Would you begin to pray like I am for a revelation of God's love and His forgiveness for this person? Let's stand to our feet. We're gonna pray. Father, right now, I thank You for this incredible decision that has been made this morning for a heart that has opened up to You, God. We give You glory. But right now, I pray for this incredible man that You would come and give him such an encounter of Your love and Your grace and Your mercy that he would understand that his sins are forgiven because he is choosing to start a relationship and to enter into a relationship with you that will be a life marked by your glory, a life marked by your favour, a marked loved, marked by your love. God, right now, would you do an incredible work in him as he takes this bold step into knowing you more. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen. I think that deserves a little bit of glory to God.